What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and this podcast covers lifestyle, travel, manifestation, and entrepreneurship. Today's episode is with Michael Arterberry, who's a motivational speaker and a total wealth of knowledge. This conversation really opened my eyes to how much we overcomplicate manifestation, and Michael kept it 100% real. He just said, let's stop overcomplicating everything. It's really not that hard. It's so simple. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation if you're someone that is either struggling with manifestation, you don't even know where to start, you're overwhelmed. He keeps it simple, down-to-earth, practical, and he's just a really no-BS type of guy, which I really love. He comes from a background of hardship, and I love talking to people that have really used their background and story to motivate others, because sometimes it's hard to relate to someone if they seem like they live in la-la land, right? Like, you don't know hardship. You don't know what I've been through. You don't understand how to regulate negative emotions. No, no, no. Michael has been there, and he used his past and his story to motivate people now. He's not letting himself live in the past or become a victim of his past He is using it to fuel his future. And that is something that I love talking about on this podcast because it shows that you don't have to be stuck in one place. If you're in a place of hardship, you can turn it around. So he gets very specific into how his childhood was like, his teenage years, even his college years, and what he's doing today and how he specifically does it. He's all about conscious living and manifesting again, in a really practical way. So I know you're going to enjoy this and keeping it simple for anyone that's overwhelmed. I can learn a thing or two. I know I overcomplicate things sometimes. So it was just refreshing to hear Michael's point of view. If you've been listening for the last year or so, you know that I was living in Australia. I recently just moved to Germany earlier this week. Huge update. I know I kind of threw everyone for a loop. I was keeping it a bit hush-hush just because I didn't know if I would get in with coronavirus and border control and everything that I was coming from Australia and I'm American. I just didn't know what would happen, so I didn't want to jinx anything. But I'm reporting right now from Germany. So I will do a full updated episode on this move, becoming an expat here, adjusting to the lifestyle, and I'm here with my partner. So If you were listening to the last two episodes around dating and relationships, that guy is who I'm with now. So that's why I'm in Germany. So I will definitely do an updated episode, like I said, covering everything about the move. And I'll also do one on my life in Australia, because I know I've talked about Australia and I always did updates in the beginning of what was going on. But I think I want to do a broader update on my whole year there, like lessons I learned, what happened each month, the mindset shifts I had, because I feel like I did a total 180 from the person I was even a year ago, not even a year ago, even six months ago. And so, so much happened in Australia that I want to break it down in an episode. So if you have any requests, any questions, any topics you want me to cover, shoot me a DM either at Chelsea Rife, R-I-F-F-E, or at Non-Expert Opinion Pod, and I will be sure to cover it in that episode. I'll also do one, like I said, on becoming an expat in Germany. So if you have any questions on that, Same thing. Shoot me a DM and I'll be sure to cover it. I also have an update on my course from Chaos to Confidence. I decided to keep enrollment open until the end of this beta round because of the amount of messages I was getting. People that were on the fence, people that want to join, people that were eyeing it and saying, oh, maybe I'll just join next time or coming back around. And they want to join now because they're seeing how quickly people are shifting. 
I'm not joking. After the first call, someone booked their dream wedding venue. Someone booked their dream job. Someone sold their car for more than it was worth on the market. Someone landed another job. I mean, things were happening left and right after one call. And people were noticing that because I was sharing it on my social media. And they thought, well, I don't want to miss this round because it's the lowest cost it will ever be. It's the beta round. And so they joined. So I was thinking, well, you know what? I know a lot of people are on the fence and I know some people just needed a, a few testimonials or a few reasons to see that, okay, yeah, this does work. It's not going to take weeks. It's not going to take months or years. It can truly take days to shift your mindset and see your manifestations come through. And that's what I'm teaching this course. I'm getting very specific on the tools you can use, the routines, the rituals, and trying to really make it simple. I don't like overcomplicating things. Like Michael said, we overcomplicate things and overthink things so much. And that's what this course is all about. The women in the course are total badasses as well. I made sure that anyone that I accepted would bring a good energy to the group because it is a group coaching program. When we're on these calls, we're doing exercises on the calls. We're workshopping together. We're doing them. We're working through all the exercises together, but then we're also doing Q&As, discussions, etc. So it's not six weeks of me lecturing you and you just writing down frantically in a notebook and hoping that you learn something from it. The point of my course was to make it really interactive so that if you were doing an exercise, you could be like, huh, I don't know if I'm doing this right or this wasn't really making sense or you know what, this felt really powerful. I want to share something more about this. That's exactly how the course is set up. So I wanted to make sure that the energy of the group collectively could contribute to this discussion and really help shift each other's mindset, which has proven to be true. People have lost their jobs from coronavirus. People are moving. There's a lot of um, instability going on, but the energy of the group really is so supportive that we're finding that it's really comforting to just have that support group, whether it's on the calls, in the Facebook group, celebrating each other's wins, helping each other through a hard week. We are all there in this together. And I think that's my favorite part right now of the course, outside of the shifts that people are seeing, how supportive everyone is in the group. So if this sounds like something that you've been on the fence on and you're like, okay, I do want to learn. I do want that support. I want to get in on this round. Then let's talk and let's get you in this round before it doubles price next round. So want to be fully transparent. The price is going to double. So if you are interested, I would probably try to get in on this round when it's the lowest cost it's ever going to be. I think those are all my updates. Like I said, I have a lot to update you all on, but I think that's going to have to be separate podcasts about the move and expat life. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Michael. Okay, everyone, we have Michael Arterberry on, and he is a motivational speaker that has overcome so much. He has so many amazing messages to share. I cannot wait for him to dive in. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. I'm looking very forward to talking to you and your audience. I'm so excited to get to know you a bit more and dive into all the messages that you share. But I always like to start out asking my guests to tell us about their baby selves. So can you take us back to baby Michael and how you got into the work that you share now? All right. So I I would like to do that by telling a story. And it's about a farmer and a donkey. And now this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals, because once he finishes working with the donkey on a farm, He brings the donkey back to his home and he allows his kids to play with the donkey. So you got to envision, you know, he comes in from the farm. The kids come running out the house. They come out and they play with him. They wash him. They ride him. And this is like a normal occurrence. And so one night he came home with the donkey 
The kids came running out. They washed and ride him, and then he released them back out into the farm. During the night, while he was wandering around the farm, he fell into an empty water well. And obviously, once he fell into the well, he couldn't get out, so he started making donkey noises. The farmer comes out the following morning. He whistles for the donkey. The donkey doesn't show up. He starts walking around the farm, and he hears the donkey making noises at the bottom of the well. So he walks over to the well. He wants to get him out. So he goes and gets six of his friends, and they come over to the well, and they they decide that they're going to pull him out with some rope. So all six of them got rope. They start to lasso the donkey. They throw it. They miss. They throw it. They miss. They finally throw it by the, by the donkey's hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body, and they start to pull. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower the donkey back to the bottom of the well, and now the farmer has to make a grim decision. Now, he can't feed him food at the bottom of the well because that wouldn't make any sense. He doesn't really want to starve him because, like I said, he's more like a pet. One of his hot-headed friends was like, hey, just shoot him. He's like, no, I can't do that. That's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends whispered in his ear, and he said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So what we're going to do is we're going to sacrifice your donkey. We're going to cover him with dirt. Your kids will be safe, but your donkey will be gone. Farmer said he can deal with that. So they all got shovels and they started shoveling dirt. And every time that dirt hit the donkey, the donkey would scream. And every time he would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden, the scream stopped. When the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence. But they went back to work. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. So they start shoveling cartoon style. The next thing you know, you see half his body. They shovel faster. The next thing you know, Chelsea, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. Now, the way that he saved himself was this. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off and he would step on it. And he used every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now, I start with that story because I am the donkey. And what I want to do with your audience and with you is I want to share some of my dirt before we get into the questions. First, and I mean, the, the first bit of my dirt is the fact that I grew up with a raging alcoholic father. Now, I put raging in front of it because I'm talking about this man raged from the time I was born until the time he died when I was 16. Now, what does this mean for a kid growing up? That means that every day, no matter how caught up I got with fun, Something would tap me on my shoulder and remind me that, hey, buddy, don't you get too happy because you got to go home to that mess that you live in. On top of a raging alcoholic father, I grew up in poverty. Both my parents worked full time. My dad was a bus driver. My mother cleaned home. She was a maid, but his money went to drinking. My mother raised four kids cleaning homes. And so as far as having funds, we didn't really have a lot of money. I was a good kid, though. I never would ask my mom for things, you know what I'm saying, that I could, she, she couldn't afford to get me. But I grew up in poverty. On top of growing up in poverty, uh, as far as dysfunction, I mean, come on, the head of my household is an alcoholic. I had older siblings, but my siblings did the best that they could with the upbringing that they were getting. 
from this alcoholic father. And my neighborhood didn't help out because the neighbors and my, my, my friends in my neighborhood were living in dysfunctional families as well. You had crime, you had drugs, you had all those different things going on in my neighborhood. But the silver lining to the story is this, is that I took all my wounds, all my scars, and that is what motivates me to walk beside other people when they're in their struggle to push them to be better people, more productive, and to live a life with purpose. Wow. I have actual goosebumps because so many people would hear that story and think, oh, you know, he should have just given up or he, I'm surprised he didn't give up. And he would let them, he, you didn't let anybody tell you no, or this is the way my life is going to be. You saw something within yourself that said, I'm not going to let myself become the person that my father was or the, the environment that I grew up in. And I'm curious, like, were there people around or, or were you reading something or was there a, a really authoritative figure or voice or something that made you realize the potential that you really had inside of you? You know, what I did is I was I was very creative and I, I, kind, I didn't know I was doing this, obviously, when I was doing it. But what I did is I created a traditional family um, because I, I was I was blessed to be an elite, an elite athlete. I was very athletic. My mom got me into sports at the age of eight. So I played basketball, baseball, football, and soccer. And my mother would rotate those four sports to get me out of that madness in my home. And I played all four right until I graduated high school. And I could have gone to college for all four, but I chose football. But I'm telling you this because as I'm coming through school and growing up, I use my football coaches as my father figures. And then my teammates were my brothers and sisters. And the positive accolades that I would get from my success would be what you would get from a, a, a family that was not dysfunctional. Now, on top of that, and I tell this story when I, when I go out and I speak to audiences, a lot of times when I speak um, to on different platforms, I use a picture of the home that I grew up in, and I'll show it um, in a PowerPoint presentation. And if you look at it, it, it looks like it's condemned. And I remember in the winter times we would rarely have heat. And my mom used to heat up the apartment by putting water in turkey basin pans and she would boil them. And we would use the vapors as heat. Now I'm telling you this, Chelsea, because one night when I was falling asleep, I think I was about 10 years old. I was I tears in my eyes, I was crying. I promised myself that when I got older, if I had my own kids, that my kids would never have to live in the environment that I was living. And I'll tell you this, any time that it really, really got rough, my unborn children became the catalyst to push me to be successful. Wow. So you used almost an invisible, untangible force to guide you, which is a, a massive and powerful mindset to have. Yes, yes. Well, it's part of my gift. You know what I'm saying? Um, I like to call myself a multi-layered deep thinker. You know, I'm not very much in the small talk, but um, I'm able to see things from a perspective that can freak some people out. Like I can see not the future. I'm not like, you know, like who, you know, like a magician, but um, I'm really good at being able to settle my spirit, 
look at what's in front of me and, and really start to dissect. And I think as I started going through life, I could see a path. Um, you know, as far as people will ask me, when did I decide to be a motivational speaker? You know, my gift started young. I was a big dude. I am a big guy. So young, I had the decision to either be the bully or the one protecting the ones being bullied. And I chose to be the protector. So as far as looking out for people, I started doing that in grade school. You know what I mean? And then I went on and I um, camp counselor, you know, uh, went off to school to be a, a social worker. So, you know, um, being able to do those things is is what, you know, pushed me to stay in that lane and to press forward to um, walk out my goals. Yeah, it sounds like you have an intense gift for visualization, being able to see the future without actually having the proof around you that it's guaranteed. But you see the vision in your head and you take action to make it happen. How would you tell people to develop that tool or that strength? Because it really sounds like it's something that can serve so many people well. So how can they work on it? They have to live conscious. You know, what I mean by living conscious is you got to quiet your spirit. You know, um, and what I mean by that is I think that people not think I hate when I say think you, sometimes you say think you try to soften it up. I, just, I know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? I know that if you quiet your spirit and what I mean by quieting your spirit, it's not only your inner. I think that people keep themselves busy because busy prevents them from looking at what is really, really going on. And so what allows people to be able to project and look at where they're going is when you quiet your spirit, it'll speak to you. You know, it's it's almost like a, a audible verse voice that will speak guide me being a spiritual person. I call it the Holy Spirit. So it speaks to me and I'm talking about audible, audible, audibly and, and like precise, you know, to like right down to a post on Facebook. You know, I'll wake up one morning and, and it'll just say, you know what? You took that picture, so-and-so day, I think that person needs it and somebody in the world needs it. And I'll follow it. And so I think that quieting yourself to listen what your spirit says will lead you. And that's how you can do it, living a conscious life. Wow. Two things that you just said that are giving me chills because I totally believe it is that basically quieting that outer voice so that you can hear the inner voice I find meditation to really help me with that, but I don't do crazy meditations. I don't do 60 minutes, you know, two hours. I do five minutes and I can have pretty insane downloads or walks on the beach. So I'm curious, how do you find the time to quiet the outer voices so that you can hear that inner one? Well, you know, when, when you talk about the universe setting itself up, um, I'm a gym rat. I'm a gym rat. Um, I suffered a spinal cord injury, which I've recovered from. But because of it, I, I, um, I don't build lactic acid in my legs and I have a lot of time on my hands. Even if I don't have time, I make time. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is I do an immense amount of cardio. I do about four hours of cardio per day um, and I will set my workout schedule so I can get my workout in with my cardio. So every day before I get into anything, Chelsea, I spend at least one hour with with my spiritual side. Um, I study, I listen, I read. And I actually wrote a book because what I did is I, I took, I take this spiritual time 
and I started writing posts for uh, my Facebook page and I was putting them out there and they were speaking to my followers. You know what I mean? And so I take my spiritual time. I put something together and I put it out on the universe, you know, um, and, and we may talk about my book later, but I just want to share something special about that is I, I did that. And um, a woman that was following me, she had cancer um, and I was doing it on a daily basis. And she sent me an inbox and she says, you know, Michael, I would love to get your stuff in one place. And when she said that, I, I, I went back, started pulling my my post off my Facebook page and I put together a book that I call Be Encouraged. And it's a compilation of my spiritual time and what my spirit speaks to me and says and so daily, I'm talking about religious. Every single day, Chelsea, I do an hour or so of of getting my spirit right before I even pursue or get into my day. I love that. An hour, even to me, sounds like a lot, but it's like an hour out of 24 hours really isn't that much time like no. to dedicate to. So everyone can find some chunk of time to dedicate to your spirit because to me, it really is one of the major things that we should be looking after over the external stuff. So there was a second thing that you said that that really popped out to me is when you said, I hate that I say I think because I know. It seems like you're very conscious of the language you use. And I'm curious too how you develop that skill because that's one of the biggest things I try to teach women especially is we always start out our emails with like, I'm sorry, I'm just checking in. I, I'm sorry for this. I'm, I apologize. I was late. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You answered me in five minutes or you didn't do anything wrong. Why are you apologizing? And, and always apologizing and overcompensating for things that we don't need to. I'm curious how you develop that skill. You know, we, we are products of our thought lives. And so we, we are conditioned as human beings to have issues with affirmation. And so to be, think positive about yourself is a challenge. And what's sad about it with society, and even with some people when they were growing up, is you, you have people that don't help you. So, you know, you're, you're dealing with low self-esteem, and then you could grow up in a family where your brother, your sister, you know, aunt, your uncle, or in some homes, it could be a mother or father that silences that voice that's inside of you. Um, and so what I, I'm a firm believer of, and I've t taught it to people, and I've, I, I've of course, um, am a good student of it for myself, is, is, you know, being a product of my thought life, whatever I put in the universe is what I want to put out there. And so, um, you know, that's why one of the concepts, and, and, and I sent it to you in the email, was be the driver of your car and not the passenger of your car, you know, to extend this explanation a little bit. I feel like we go through life and we step on landmines and the landmine doesn't blow you up. What it does is it, it causes damage. And what you do is when the landmine creates the damage, you start to make decisions based on the damage rather than what's going on in real time. And so, you know, you could have went through something at the age of 10, 12, 14, and you're now 21 years old and you're making decisions based on your damage rather than real time. So I'm a, a big component of us being product of our thought lives, being careful of what comes out of our mouths, and also being careful of what thoughts you keep. 
You know what I'm saying? Because I'm a firm believer that you can kick a thought out. You don't have to keep it because if you keep it, it can plant itself, germinate, and it can grow just like a seed does. Ooh, that's deep because that is the type of work that so many of us need to do, but we either don't want to do it or we don't know how, or we're just comfortable uh, telling ourselves the same story over and over. We're almost afraid of fear and success. And it sounds like a lot of the work you do now is helping people get over these negative thought patterns and really finding their potential. But I want to go back a second because I know you mentioned how sports really helped you define some discipline and structure in your life and, and really had uh, people to look up to. And you had a father figure essentially in that, in that field with the coaches and everyone around you. So then you went to college and I remember you just mentioned you had an injury. Can you tell us more about that experience and what happened after that? After the injury. So listen, this is really freaky. So imagine this, I go off to college, I play football, I have crazy success. Um, I graduate college, but in college, I broke my right ankle. So I recovered, finished my career off, and it's no big deal. Seven years after I graduated, um, I wake up one morning and that ankle is tender. It's sore. So I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I don't like doctors. So the last place I'm going is a doctor. I just customize my workouts around. Um, I customize my workouts around the injury. So I, you know, did what I had to do and I kept moving. And so as I started to ignore this injury, um, it got worse and it kept getting worse, kept getting worse. And I can tell it's getting worse, but I'm trying to deny it. And then one day I was walking into work. And as I was walking into work, um, a woman from my job says to me, Michael, why are you limping? And so when she said, why are you limping? I'm like, oh boy, now this sucker's really getting bad. So at that time, I went to an orthopedic surgeon. And when I went to the orthopedic surgeon, he did x-rays. He saw no bone fragments. He didn't see any scar tissue. And he sends me home, Charles. Sends me home. I can't tell you why you're limping. So I go home and I'm still limping. Next thing you know, I'm starting to lose my gait. I can't lift my leg. I'm swinging it. So I'm swinging my leg. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this, come on, this is not right. And so I, I went to my buddy who's a chiropractor. Um, he took some x-rays that my hips were un not aligned and gave me some orthotic lifts. Now, come on, you, you know, that wasn't going to work, but I did the orthotic lifts. The pain in my ankle still continues, the discomfort. And so one day um, I'm, I'm sitting down to get dressed and I'm noticing that, you know, I'm a gym rat that my leg is, is, is atrophying. Not only is it atrophying, the feeling that I had in the right leg is now on my left leg. And I, you know, I, I panicked. And so my wife had me go to a podiatrist. You know, we, we figured a foot guy, maybe he can figure something out. And, you know, I walk into the podiatrist. And when I walk in, I had called in advance. And as I'm walking in for him to examine me, he's like, hey, yo, it's not your ankle. And I'm looking at him like he's crazy. He's like, it's your back. So he puts me on the examining table and he starts to examine me. Then I see panic on his doctor's face. He calls his nurse into the room. He's like, listen, my buddy who's the neurologist across town, get him in for an appointment immediately. So I'm trying to slow him down. I'm like, listen, dude, tell me what's going on. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, listen, it'll be okay. 
They couldn't get me into the neurologist at that time. They got me in the following day. He and his buddy must have talked during the night because when I walked into the neurologist, he said the same thing. It's your back. He takes me in the back. He does an examination. And then Chelsea, he sits me. I'll never forget it. A mahogany desk. He's behind the mahogany desk. I'm on my side. He looks me in the face and he says, you either have a cancerous cyst on your spine or you have um, multiple sclerosis. And I'm looking at him. This is an elite athlete he's telling us to. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And so a week went by. I got an MRI. And luckily, I didn't have either one. But what I had is I had a cyst on my spinal cord that was compressing my spinal cord against my vertebrae. And it was stopping the spinal fluid from going from my brain to my legs. The pain that I felt was the nerves in my legs were dying. As the years went on, the pain got worse because the nerves were dying. And the, the podiatrist said if I didn't come into his office, if it was two, two months later, somebody would have rolled me in on a wheelchair, I would have been paralyzed. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So you found it before you were paralyzed? Yeah, well, I, I found it. You know, the, 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 the part that was really a challenge is now I'm in the office with the surgeon. He wants to go in and remove the, the cyst, but he's telling me, that if he removes it, now I'm limping. I'm limping. I've lost functioning of my of my lower body. He's saying if he goes in and removes the cyst, he can't reverse any of the damage. So I'm looking at him like, dude, you're not cutting me open and not fixing what's going on with my body. So I'll never forget we're sitting in his office and he looks by me right into my wife's face and told her that if I didn't get the surgery, I would be paralyzed by the end of the summer. And so I went in and I got the surgery and, um, you know, um, being a spiritual guy, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and just my mindset, you know, I'm, I'm a straight alpha, just athlete, like crazy like that. So I'm saying this to you because I went in for the surgery and I was so confident that I wasn't going to allow the prognosis to hold me down. I had my wife take a picture of me in my recovery bed. This is before selfies. And I know I do groups with teenagers. I knew that eventually I could show that picture as a before picture and an after picture. And they, she took the picture of me in my recovery bed. And, you know, your, your, your listeners can go follow me on my, my social media. You know, I'm 52 years old. I'm in some pretty good shape for 52. So the recovery bed to where I'm at now is like like black and white. Wow. And it sounds again, like you use visualization. You, you didn't take that picture to share in a moment of sympathy. It sounds like, it sounds like you're like, no, I'm going to use this as a before to show everyone what's going to happen after. Yes, yes, yes. And what I believe in, they call it, they call it, um, discernment. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and, and so, um, I, that's my gift. My gift. I mean, it, it is, and it, it's, it's spot on. It's rarely wrong. I'm able to, again, back to that quiet in the spirit. And, 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 you know, I just watch, you know, I watch, I feel, and I'm able to, I predict. I don't even want to call it predict. I'm just, I'm just on it. And, and with my life, I'm on it because I know myself, but I can look at yours and do the same, but you have to feed me the information and then I, I walk it out with you.
yeah, it seems like you really see people's potential and you're like, I see it. I see it right in front of you. You're just holding yourself back. And this is something that I face a lot with my clients and people that listen to this podcast and the people that I interact with have a lot of self-doubt and a lot of imposter syndrome where even though they have clients and they have the expertise and the education, they still think that they're a fraud or they're going to be called out or that they're not educated enough. And I'm curious, have you run into that? And how do you help those specific people that are just constantly doubting themselves and and don't see their potential? Because it sounds like you know exactly how to fix it. Listen, check this out. I'm going to drop a jewel for them. All right. This is a jewel for your listeners and anybody that suffers from what you just said, Chelsea. What they have to remember, they have to remember this, that fear is paralyzing. But when you don't step into what is your purpose in life, you deprive someone else from stepping into theirs. There is someone in this world that's waiting for you to make your move and they can't make their move until you make yours. So when you deny it and you don't do it, you don't only suffer, there's someone in the world that suffers along with you. Wow, I feel like I'm gonna get emotional. (laughs) No joke. Because it's so true. I I went through this earlier this year where I really wanted to step into a new role. And as soon as I started doing it, I did let fear take over to think, you know, who am I to teach this? And where am I coming from? And why would people trust me? And it wasn't until I really just started doing it and people would say, you know, this is really inspiring. Ever since you did this, I'm more inclined to take a step. And I was like, wow, I wish I would have done this earlier. I feel like I've waited way too long. And now it's like, uh, again, I just wish I would have started earlier. So like you said, just knowing that someone's waiting for you to make the move, it gives you a sense of purpose outside of yourself. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, and 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 some urgency. You know what I mean? I mean like, think about it. You're sitting on the side of your bed. It, it, you think you're going to feel bad that you are failure to yourself. Just envision the other person on the side of their bed like, hey, uh, I wish Chelsea would hurry up. Now, they don't know it's you specifically, but and they don't even know that it's really happening with the energy and the essence. But to have that weight on your shoulders will help to motivate you to get your feet moving. I love that. Really, really love that example. And it's so true that People are going to watch you and silently watch you. I think that's a big thing with social media. We're just waiting for the comment or the DM or the like or the share. And it's like, you never know who's watching you silently that is just, you know, soaking up everything that you're sharing, but they'll never tell you, but they are being inspired. I think that's something that motivates me as well. I don't know about you. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 in that situation get, I, I, fortunately I get, um, I get feedback. You know, I had a guy, I, I mean, I have people that just come clean. You know, I, I had a guy who you talking about uh, chills. You just got me on it. Had a guy send me an inbox and said that before I read your post, I was going to kill myself. Wow. Yes. Yes. Chels. Yes. Oh man. You know, and, and, you know, a message like that is it, it stops you. You know, I don't care how 
how good you are, what you do, how often you've helped people. So it 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 stopped me. It stopped me. Um, but it makes me think. And you've just said it. Now that you're into this new path, it 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 allows me to continue to understand because I know this. So it's not something that the inbox enlightened me to. Um, is my responsibility. You see what I'm saying? That's why I take care of my spirit first in the morning. See, I I understand that as I go into the day, I'm not only responsible for myself. I'm responsible. You know, I'm you know being a spiritual. You know, being being a, a man that's part of his spirituality. I'm a firm believer. All right, that whatever higher power you may believe in, I may be the closest thing that you meet to a higher power. So because of that fact, I got to make sure that I'm right before I do what I have to do. And then I bring it that way. So, you know, when he, he left me that inbox, you know what I'm saying? And I still, you know, it, it's a, a guy I went to high school with, so it wasn't a stranger. But, um, you know, we still correspond. And anytime he hits a like and I see his name, we have a different we have a different relationship now. I think I what you just said about the you might be the closest thing to a higher power that's in someone's field. People don't realize that. We just assume that everyone knows all these spiritual gurus and speakers and, you know, people that are on TV. So we get really discouraged. Like, why would people listen to me when there's Oprah or Gabby Bernstein or Tony Robbins or whoever the case is? And it's like some people have no idea who all these people are. I mean, if you don't know who Oprah is, I, you might be living under a rock, but <laughs> you, a lot of people really don't know. And I even find that I'm like, wait, you don't know who this person is and this person. And they're like, I've never in my life heard of them. So you're right. You may be the only option that someone has as a source of inspiration. That's really inspiring to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we all have a responsibility, you know, um, you know, I believe in living a selfless life. You know what I'm saying? And again, to bring back in the spirituality, you know, when you live a selfish life and, and you know, in some of the, the, the literature that I read, um, when you live in that fashion, you never have to worry about yourself. So I'm a firm believer in living a selfless life. So there's not a day that I go through where I'm concerned about my own well-being, you know, money. Um, health, any of those issues, I'm not concerned about it because I put other people first daily with proper motive. See, I don't even just, I don't do it because I want the reward. I do it because it's a part of the fabric of who I am. And because it's a part of the fabric of who I am, I know that, you know, my God will take care of me. Absolutely. And I'm curious do you have specific tools or resources or routines? I know you mentioned a little bit about the cardio and setting that time aside for your spirit, but do you have a specific morning routine or evening routine, something that you do to develop this muscle? Or is it purely just a gift that was truly instilled in you that you don't even have to really work at it? You know, when I, when I first came into my spirituality, I just dove into it. So uh, any, any evangelist, I, I had tapes, I read the Bible, um, you know, I just, I just, just swallowed it up. Part of my routine now is, um, I like, um, you go to YouTube 
and you YouTube will have um, inspirational compilations. They're beautiful where you can pick a subject or I just go in and, and it will randomly throw one at me. And they're about 15 minutes long. And so I watched two. So I watched. So it's about 30 minutes to 15 minutes, small YouTube clips. It could talk about perseverance. It could talk about, um, you know, walking in the spirit, whatever the subject matter is. Once I finish listening to the two YouTubes, I like worship music. I like all types of music. But again, I'm getting my spirit together. So I'll find songs that are spiritually based and I'll listen to the spiritually based song after I've listened to the YouTube. Um, and then, you know, I pick out different books of the Bible to read. So I just I was reading Psalms for a little while. I stopped reading that. So now I'm reading the book of Proverbs. And so I'll just go to Proverbs one, two, whatever the day may be. I'll read that often. By the time I finish all that out, that's an hour. And that's what I do every single day, 365 days of the year. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's how I do it. I love that you gave us real resources because there's, there is an issue I have in this spiritual world and the mindset coaching world, the motivational speaking world is that people tend to give very vague advice or use language that's not applicable to someone that is just starting this journey. For example, surrender, lean in, let go. We know what these mean, but if I was someone that had, you know, never heard of this and I hear the word surrender, I'm like, but what does that mean? Like what tools do I actually use to surrender and let go and lean in? And I like that you gave us, like you go to YouTube, you look up the inspirational compilations. Like we really need those specific uh, tips so that we can apply them to our world. So thank you. Yeah. But you know, what's crazy and it's not even spirituality. And I laugh at people all the time, Chelsea. People complicate the, the, the most simplest things in the world. You know, stop. I mean, like, really? And so when I, when I watch people complicate things, I just sit back and I'm like, you know what? Are you kidding me? It, life is not that complicated. You know what I'm saying? And so you're, you're so right. You're so right. And, and, you know, believe it or not, that's, that's, that's my personality. So, like, what's funny is when anyone wants to help brand me, um, immediately they see these motivational speakers with a suit on at a podium, you know, crisp cut. I mean, I'm, I'm clean. I'm not a bum, but that's not me. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm a real dude bringing a real message. And I don't complicate it and make it be behind these smoke screens and these different layers. And so you're so right. You know, it, it, a lot of it is transparency, having the right center and just really wanting people to get better, to be someone that's inspirational and a motivator. Yeah, you're authentically you and you're extremely confident. And that is something that I'm trying to not only keep learning and developing, but teach other women and people that listen to this podcast to develop their confidence, which I really think goes back to trusting your intuition. I think if you have a strong intuition, you develop the confidence because you know you approve of yourself. I'm curious, what advice would you give for someone who is feeling a bit insecure or like they don't have confidence at all? How can we start to develop that confidence? What? Another jewel. Listen, tell them. Tell them to put on their listening ears. Their value must come from themselves. 
when I finally was able to understand that, it empowers you to a level that is out of this world. So I'll give an example. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't just leave them on a cliff. With the spinal cord injury, I, I when I first had it, I walk with a limp. And so when I first had it, I walk with a limp and a cane and I can't walk far. But my, my, my wife and my kids, they would go to like museums and I'd be like, I don't want to go because I don't like museums. Now I'm lying, Chelsea. I love museums, but I would tell them, no, I don't want to go because I couldn't walk in the museum. So I finally found a motorized scooter online that you could actually get in it. I can take it, dismantle it, put it in the back of my car. And, and it, it became my equalizer. But I'm telling you this and your audience this because, you know, I've worked it up and understood that I don't care what anybody says when I'm in the scooter. I'm, I work out seven days a week. I know that my value comes from myself. Nothing that you say or anyone else says makes me valuable. And by being able to do that work, I get in the scooter. You know, my, my, my daughter plays. Uh, she's an athlete. She plays basketball. I pull into the arena in my, my, my scooter, you know, this big, muscular black guy, you know what I'm saying, in this scooter. I pull in. I'm not worried about who's saying anything, if anybody's looking at me, you know what I'm saying? And the funniest thing is one of the parents, this guy, um, he, he, he pulled me to the side. He thought he was embarrassing me. He's like, dude, I just want to tell you, you make riding in a scooter look cool. And we just started laughing because I knew exactly what he was talking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got to find value. You got to find value in yourself, Chelsea. And when you do that, then, then it, it, it's powerful. Walk into a room and say, I don't care what anybody says. And also you made that scooter fun, it sounds like. You run your oh, lot man. of my, my yeah. mom. She would do that. I can picture her putting like lights on it and a, a speaker and making it like the funnest scooter you've ever seen because it's like, why not? Who says it yeah. can't be fun? Yeah, yeah. I just got a new one. So I got a, a basic one when I started. It's funny that you say that. I just I just got a new one delivered because I coach football. And what would happen is, you know, you get to a football field with grass. You know, the one I have is not really heavy duty. And when I bought it, I you know, I really wasn't schooled on what it was. So I, I got one that came in today. This bad boy is like a, a, a four-wheeler. You know what I'm saying? Got big knobby tires. I could take it on grass, rocks, everything. Love it. You got yeah. the full setup now. All yeah. the bells and whistles. Yeah, all the bells and whistles. Now, I'm curious with the motivational speaking that you do, the mindset that you have, you know, the people that you're helping, how do you deal with negativity, especially now with everything going on in the world? We have uh, everything. I mean, every single day you wake up, there's a news headline. There's something that just really sets people into a, a totally dark hole, really negative thought spiral. And that's something that I constantly deal with as well. Like I am sometimes scared to turn on the news or read something and be like, oh, this is going to, you know, throw off my whole day. So I'm curious, how do you specifically handle negativity and how would you tell people to handle it as well? Back to what I said when we're products of our thought lives, what you have to do is you have to see it's easy. I call it living sl sloppy. Uh, live, to live a sloppy life means to sit in front of the TV, watch news, and then absorb and keep everything you saw. When I first started getting into helping people, 
um, or getting into my faith, um, you know, I was all worried because I was, I mean, I was a party animal. So I was coming from the world of being a partier to this world of religion. And so I was trying to mix the two and find balance. And this woman told me to learn to chew the meat and spit out the bones. So I could listen to a, a, a song that was more on what they would call the secular side, a worldly song, and I wouldn't be turning my back on my faith. I just take from the song what I thought was positive, which was the meat. And then I would spit out the bone, which is the negativity that had nothing to do with who I wanted to be on a spiritual level. Now, I tell you that because the way that you can keep the negativity from infecting you is that when you look, listen, and are involved with people or situations, you have to chew the meat and spit out the bones. So that takes work. That's consciousness. You know, so that means every time a thought comes, like I said, with the, the seed, you have to purposely say, do I want this or do I not want it? And if you don't want it, you have to deliberately say to yourself, I'm kicking this thought out of my head. You and my mom both use the term kicking the thought out. And it's so interesting because if you visualize it, it actually seems a lot easier to do instead of holding on to it and, you know, really burying it inside of you to just look at it as an objective thing and then like flick it out like a little soccer ball. That's what I try to envision yeah. now is like, get it out of there. And it also reminds me of something that I just read that it was like, I don't know if the world needs more positive people as much as we need people to understand how to deal with both positive and negative situations. So, you know, there's such a thing as toxic positivity that I keep reading about where people are responding to everything in this overly positive way where it's like, no, I need real tools to understand how to help this and navigate my negative emotions. And it sounds like you do that. It doesn't sound like if someone came to you with a negative uh, mindset or things like that, that you would say, just positive thought your way through it. You're like, no, develop the skills so that you can absorb negativity and then just kick it out. Yeah, well, well, use it, use it properly. You know what I'm saying? You can bring me something negative and I can use it in a way where when I spin it, I'm going to take the meat. I'm going to take the meat, the negative situation, take the meat out of the negative situation and get rid of something that, that, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me, let me think of an example. I was, I was on Facebook and there was a, a history teacher that was debunking Confederacy. So they, they, the, honor, the honors class history teacher took one line of whatever it was that you believe in with the Confederacy and would come up with something that disputed it. And, and, and it, it, I don't know if it was a woman or a man did a wonderful job. But at the end of the article, what I realized, Chels, is that 52 years old, I was never taught black history in school. The only thing I learned in school was I was freed as a slave. And then I got a little bit of Martin Luther King during Black History Month, a little Rosa Parks, you know, back of the bus. And besides that, I, I couldn't come up. With anything else. Now, this guy, when he was doing the article, you know what I'm saying, was talking about how there was there, there's blacks in this world that were inventors 
and all these other big things, but the school never chose to teach you that. Now, remember, meat and bones. I'm reading this article. If I wanted to take the tox, toxic part of it, I would have came out of the article and I would have been angry at what I didn't learn growing up. And then I would want to spit fire at everybody after I read the article. But what I did with it is this. Chew the meat, spit out the bone. I made myself a promise that anytime I had black or brown kids in my audience, I would never allow the opportunity to pass that I wouldn't remind them that they are kings and queens. Wow. 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 Yeah. Chew the meat, spit out the bones. And I just did a, a virtual um, a virtual like assembly with a group of young Latino and black kids last week and, and, and almost brought tears to my eyes because before I close, I, I, I didn't have to remember because I'll never do it again. I reminded them that even though you may not have been taught it in school, I'm telling you as a black man on this screen that you are, all of you are kings and queens. You are not only what you see in the neighborhoods that you grow up in. That is so powerful to teach them, especially at a young age, that message and affirm them of it and make them truly believe it. So that you said that with the thought work and the thought patterns that they can start believing that story instead of their environmental story. Yeah. There's one message that you talk about a lot, which is how do you want to be remembered? Can you expand on this concept? Let me see how I want to break this down for you. How do you want to be remembered? The, what, what I'm talking about with that is that you have to make it a priority that when you have an interaction with someone, when you leave them, you want them to say, what was that? Who was that? What did he or she just do to me? And that's how I live. And that's how people should live. Purposely, your interactions should always have an objective. And that person should know once you leave them that they've been touched. They've been touched. And that's what I mean when I talk about how do you want to be remembered? It sounds like you know you have your gift, but you didn't wait for anybody to tell you this, right? Or did you? Like, what I'm getting at is a lot of people are sitting there not even realizing that they have these gifts because they're waiting for someone to give them the certification or the title or the promotion, and then they could start believing it. So I'm curious, when did you start owning? Like, yeah, this is a gift. I'm really good at it. And it's my superpower. I always had it. Um, and I'm hoping I'm not turning people off with the spirituality piece. I mean, I know pe different people have different views of it, but I'm just keeping it real. Um, once I started to to dive into my faith, the God that I believe in, um, first and foremost, made, made helped me understand that he gave it to me. And not only did he give it to me, once I united with him, the strength and the power of it went to a whole new level, went to a whole nother level. So, you know, I had it, I used it, but building my spirituality is what allows 
in my mindset of taking it to another level, because you got to remember when I spend that time with him in the morning, spending time with whatever spiritual father you have, that's so that I become him. Not, I don't walk around trying to be him, but spending the time with him allows me to speak. And when I speak, he speaks through me because we're one. Right. And I don't think you're turning anyone off because like you said, there's, there's people that just believe in different powers, whether that's the universe or specific God or whatever the, however they want to identify it. But I do think there is something to be said about looking outside of yourself, outside of this human 3D experience to find motivation, because sometimes it can be a dark world, it can be negative, it can be tiresome. But if you can find something outside of you that you can't see, which is faith, it really can be the motivating factor for you to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, yeah, it it, it can, it can, you know what I mean? And you know, what it does is, when when you when you have something that you believe in, um, you have a place to go. You know, I feel for people that don't have a belief system. It doesn't have to be what I believe in. Um, but where do you go when you're in a crisis? See, I have a place where I go when I'm feeling like it's coming on. You know what I'm saying? And I need to go and speak to somebody. You know, it, it's no hesitation. You know. You know, I call it my closet, but I, I listen, I'm I'm gone. And so I can go to that place and get some comfort. And so when you say somebody needs something, they do. Because can you imagine like I, I being a spiritual person like I am to think of a person that doesn't have a place? I'm like, can you a crisis hits? You're sitting in your living room and you're like, it's just me. Whoo. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Joe? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. So, you know, anybody listening, I'm not pushing you to find something, but it, it, it would be in your best interest, even if it was just going to the YouTubes. You know what I'm saying? And, and find a YouTube compilation video that fits whatever you're going through so that you at least have an external voice that can speak to the internal voice of what you're going through in that moment. Amazing. You've dropped so much knowledge and wisdom and advice on this podcast that I'm going to try to get one more out of you. So what is one <laughs> last thing that you would leave listeners with, whether that is a piece of advice, a mantra, a motivational uh, message? What can you let us end with? All right. So check this out. I, I, I wrote a book. It's called Be Encouraged. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, 250 days of inspiration and motivation. Um, but on the third page, I think it's the third page. I wrote this short term thinkers plant gardens, long term thinkers plant trees, eternity minded thinkers plant themselves and the souls of others. And what I mean by that is, yo, yeah, yeah, that's nice, right? Yeah. Anytime I read it, I, yeah, I pat myself on the back, Chelsea. That was, that was, <laughs> that, 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 you see, that, that came from some good spiritual work that morning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, the work you do, 
the work I do, you know what I'm saying? Let's be let's 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 be eternity minded thinkers. Love that. Eternity minded thinkers. Just let that sit in in your mind for a second, everybody. I love that quote. I'm really pondering it now. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. We are going to absolutely link the book in the show notes. And where can people find you online and get in touch with you? Um, they can come come to uh, my my public speaking platform is michaelarterberry.com. Um, I have a nonprofit that I work with the youth. Anybody have a youth group out there, they can go to youthvoicescenter.org. Um, my, my social media page um, Facebook, Instagram, it's CT Thunder. We'll put it in the, um, the, the show notes, my LinkedIn. And I'm the type of guy, just like you hear on this broadcast, you follow me, you drop me an inbox, you get a response. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not all about, you know, uh, I'm too good for people. I like, I like to be interactive and, and I like to share myself with the world. I love this. Thank you so much, Michael. I absolutely am obsessed with this conversation. I feel like I'm going to be listening back and taking notes, and I have a feeling my listeners are going to be scribbling a lot of this down in their notebooks, too. So really appreciate the time. If they go to shakethedirtexperience.com, they can get a free copy of my book. Amazing. Look at that generosity, people. We get a free book. I love it. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes, too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. All right. 